Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It's the underpowered hour on this week's show. The brand new Defender 130 spotted in spy photos. A tip-top tool tip. Land Rovers in the movies. Some upcoming Patreon content. And everyone's favorite segment, famous Land Rover owner of the week. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the Underpowered Hour. I'm Stephen Barris, mild-mannered television executive by day and Land Rover collector by night. You can find out more about my cars and what we're working on at thebarriscollection.com or check us out on Instagram at the Barris Collection. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, Ike Goss. Thanks to everyone joining us today. I'm the bias ply to Stephen's radio, the unsynchronized crash box of podcasting, Ike Goss. I own and operate Pangolin 4x4 in Springfield, Oregon, where we live and breathe Land Rovers. Check us out online, Facebook, and Instagram at Pangolin 4x4. All right, Stephen, let's get started. All right, Ike. So this week uh, in the news, first up, I don't know if you had an opportunity to see the spy photos, very sneaky, sneaky spy photos of the brand new Defender uh, 130. I did see the spy photos, uh, quote unquote spy photos. It seems like there's always a well placed photographer every time one of these uh, prototype vehicles hits the road in its cladding, you know? Uh, So I'm not sure how surreptitious these photos are, but uh, indeed I saw the the new Defender 130 prototype vehicle in uh, like with a, basically a a multicolored bag over its head. Yeah. Um, Not sure why manufacturers do that instead of just, you know, presenting the vehicle uh i guess it drums up interest i'm not yeah, sure maybe <clears throat> maybe they could get those same photographers to do some sort of like uh boudoir Ooh. shots of the vehicle to get get people excited like about draped them. across a chaise lounge or something yeah uh, some yeah. some soft focus yeah, situation a, sort of a come hither stare i i think it'd be great i mean i i do think that automotive boudoir photography is sort of a lost art it was i know very popular at the turn of the century but uh, the turn of the of the uh of the previous uh two centuries uh, not uh anything recently but uh, the model t was known for some pretty racy pretty racy stuff back then you know well, so uh, what are your thoughts on this 130? Yeah, well, you sent me this uh, this uh, rendering uh, on uh, MotorOne.com, um, which sounds like a hardcore, like a hardcore uh, punk metal uh, site. But um, MotorOne.com has a like an uncladded uh, rendering. I don't, you know, they they photoshopped a stretched 110 or something to match the proportions of the 130. Uh, I I actually like it. I think um, I think it 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 looks uh, good. It it looks longer for sure like you can see i think you said it was 14 more inches off the back of the car and you can see it um one thing i'm interested in 
will it have the tire on the back of the car? Are they going to stick that underneath or something? Does that, is that 14 inches more and also that tire? In which case, uh, you know, like I said earlier, it feels like that car would drive by you for three and a half hours. I mean, it would be like the opening sequence of Star Wars every time it turned a corner. It's just so much 130 going by you for just forever. Um, but it, I mean, it seats, I think, 27 or 30 uh, people, um, you know, two full hockey teams uh, can can fit inside of the thing. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's kind of cool. Yeah. You know, uh, for those uh, listeners that don't know, the, the 130 is based on the new 110 and it shares, ironically, the same wheelbase with that vehicle. So it's, I think, uh, technically 119 inches in wheelbase. Yeah. Yep. And so neither the Defender 110 nor the Defender 130 uh, are represented by those designations. Yeah, and I imagine the 90 probably isn't either, right? I, I can't imagine it's exactly the 90, 90 anymore. The 90 is 100, I believe, or close. It's 100, right. Yeah, yeah so it's all kind of a little bit more or a, or a little bit less. Yeah, one thing I think I like about the 130, uh, the new 130, I should say, um, is that because the wheelbase is longer on the new 110 and the rear overhang is shorter, the proportions aren't as similar to the classic yeah. vehicles that we cherish quite as much as this new 130. You know, the new 130, it has the longer wheelbase, but it also has that extended overhang, which, you know, at least in the in the rendering, make it look more like a classic 110 overall. It's, it's shape and proportion is is more similar to that. So I generally don't like the, you know, uh, trend of exaggerating the features of every yeah. vehicle and making each successive model wider and longer and bigger and more bloated and more jowly and more, more, yeah. more. Uh, that's a trend I, I tend to resist, but in this case it does make it look a little more proportional. And I'm sure a lot of people with, uh, softball teams or whatever will, uh, find, uh, this really useful uh, i think it has a has a um option for a, a sixth row seating yeah that's insane it is at that point like it is a minibus i'm teasing i'm teasing it <laughs> does get, it just has the, a bigger the third seventh row. row actually clips on to the rear bumper and is an a, an external uh, like it's a, a rumble stadium seat. seating yeah the rumble, rumble seat, seat, seat out the back the uh, the rear door actually folds down and you can get that uh for the uh, Range Rover stirrup-based rear-facing seats that you just sort of sit on. The funny thing is, is actually the, uh, the the both the Discovery and the previous Discovery, the Discovery 4, and most of the Range Rovers are actually a great car to shoot out of the back of because they've got the split tailgate. So you can put down the bottom part. And, and, and by uh, shoot, you mean film. Yo, I mean film. Yes, I'm sorry. Well, I probably shoot out of as well. I don't know. I, you know, it, it doesn't seem very sporting to do a pheasant hunt or something uh, out of the back of a moving car. But hey, in some parts of the world, I'm sure it's very popular. But no, to uh, to photograph another car um, out of the back of the Discovery uh, LR three and four here in the United States or Discovery three and four in the UK were super popular. Uh, not for just shooting Land Rovers, but just in general, um, being able to photograph out of the back of those cars, a, a camera person would sit um, on the back. Uh, sometimes you'll see people here in the U.S. do that in a pickup truck, sit on the tailgate and usually run a strap over them so they don't fall out and get run over by the car that they're filming. But um, 
but you see that you see that quite often and uh so it's interesting you know with uh you know the inclusion of the uh you know of the famous ike's favorite feature the range rover stadium seating a, a horse stirrup polo match whatever. love, the, love that thing <laughs> well uh speaking of a 110 inch wheelbase and uh a new models this is this is an old model britain's top model for this week is the series 2b forward control and uh, one of the particular little bits of trivia about this model is that it actually is the first Land Rover with a 110 inch wheelbase. Oh, well, there so, you have it. Oh, so, uh, so when you you can you can sort of give that as a little bit of Land Rover at trivia. your Land Rover bar trivia night. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, uh, that's a good one. Yeah, when was the 110 inch wheelbase introduced? 1966 1966 well the 2b i have to say it's like one of my favorite um you know land rovers of the sort of alternate uh if you will list of of sort of strange land rovers that are not probably super practical to drive back and forth to uh your place of work in but i i do love the 2b a i love forward controlled land rovers um you know i love the 101 they're super fun to drive uh really interesting seating position um you know the gear change level on the 101 of course like shoots out behind you and you're sort of driving it like one of those uh like one of those rat racer drawings where the you know the gear shift is coming at weird angles and things they're super super fun to drive but the 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 2b really was meant unlike the 101 was really meant to be a civilian commercial uh but uh, but a sort of civilian um utility uh bed a flatbed uh, land rover right it wasn't designed as a military uh unit like the 101 was well you know i think uh i really like this model because it is uh really uh meant to be a working land rover it's like oh how do we make a land rover pickup even more practical even more capable and uh, land rover spent uh you know a number of years developing this car they started obviously with the series 2a for control in uh, 1962 they were like oh we need a vehicle that has even more capacity, even more load space. They really were looking to have a vehicle that was uh, competitive with, uh, you know, utility vehicles um, from other manufacturers. So how do you make more bed space within the same wheelbase? You move the cab over the front wheel, right? And uh, there were a number of specialist Land Rover conversion companies who were trying to figure this out. Carmichael is probably Mm -hmm. the most notable they spent a lot of time engineering a forward control Land Rover only to have Land Rover themselves come out with the 2A forward control. Uh, Much like those guys that make the uh, truck bed conversion for the Jeep just in time for the truck Jeep to come out and completely erase uh, that as, a, as an aftermarket. Yeah, yeah. So basically, that's pretty much what happened with the Carmichael. And it was only really used by, you know, fire appliance conversions. They're a really wacky variant of the, you know, sort of Series 2, Series 2A forward control. So Lander had this idea for a a forward control, and they made this car, the 2A forward control, that was, uh, you know, underpowered, had Mm -hmm. standard Land Rover axles, was kind of unstable, but it had the load capacity and it had a lot of the utility features that that some commercial customers wanted. So they were like, OK, this wasn't as successful as we want it to be. How can we make it better? Well, you make it better by making it more stable, more capable, stronger, 
you know, uh, more powerful. And that's what they did with the Series 2B forward control. They um, added uh, the ENV axles. They had mm-hmm. used the narrower ENV axles in some of the 2A forward controls, but they widened them uh, in the 2B forward control. They added uh, wider wheels. So the track width yep. is quite a bit wider on the 2B, and that makes the vehicle a lot more stable. They move the front axle forward. They did the rear springs, I think, spring over in the back. Mm-hmm. And uh, they revised the kind of clunky gear shift of the 2A, and they uh, made a different clunky gear shift for the 2B. <laughs> and it has like, a, you know, 4,000 linkage points in it. And uh, it's kind of notorious for its vagueness. But uh, at least yeah, they... The, they... the uh, lever goes all the way to the back of the car, makes a 90-degree turn, then goes under the car, another 90-degree turn to come back up and plug in almost where the gear shift is, just to make sure that it has the most vague transmission uh, of any uh, popular vehicle. For, for our U.S. listeners, that's referred to as a Rube Goldberg device. For our U.K. listeners, that's a Heath Robinson device. Yeah, and the, the, the 2B4 control was definitely, the, the shift linkage was, was very much uh, Heath Robinson as far as uh, what it looked like and how it functioned, sort of just vague. There's probably you know, uh, a dripping faucet and a parrot somewhere, yeah, you know, absolutely. A, a there's can- a mouse that needs to kind of get a up candle to speed. burning a string. Yes, yeah, absolutely. exactly. There's probably that in the linkage somewhere to make it actually shift gears. But if you've ever, ever actually driven one of these vehicles they're they are really charming. Mm-hmm. You know, I think one thing that I love and uh, find dear about the two B forward control and the two A forward control is that they really look like a Land Rover. You yep. know, the cab is Land Rover. It's got the rounded edges. The mm-hmm. doors have the hip in them. You yep. know, it's very identifiable as a Land Rover product of that period. And, uh, you know, it's it's very different than the 101 Ford Control, which was, mm-hmm. I think, honestly developed by the Royal um, Mechanical Engineers. Yeah, I think it was more of a commissioned build than it was a Land Rover sourced thing. I mean, it used it was essentially Range Rover parts um, yes. that that drove the 101 whereas the the 2B really is, yeah, it's super Land Rovery. The windshield, the door tops, um, you know, the headlights, the grill, the roof of course in the two-door version. Um, they're all standard series 2 uh parts uh in and that was I think one of the goals was to make the car out of as many existing Land Rover series 2 parts that were currently on offer at the factory, which is always a fun thing. Anytime the factory tries to specialize something, you find little pieces of other Land Rover parts all over it, just stuff they had laying around. We'll do a whole thing on the Camel Trophy truck preparation at some point, but Camel Trophy trucks are covered in parts from just random Land Rover parts. There's floor bracing strapped to the roof so the cases don't slide right to left. There's, uh, you know, a reversing light uh, stuck through the grill of the 110s to light up the winch cable. All kinds of stuff that the... It's like the factory can only use Land Rover factory parts when they Man. when they make something. But the 2B is a great example of that. Sitting inside yeah. of one, you know, you sort of squint a little bit and you're not, besides the fact that you're three feet off the ground, you, um, you don't really think you're not inside of a standard, you know, Series 2 Land Rover. There's some, you know, gear shift position things and stuff that are different. But in large part, it, it feels like you're in a regular Land Rover, whereas in the 101, it, it feels like you might be in a submarine that someone made in their yard. Um, it, it certainly doesn't feel like the sort of charming civilian Land Rovers. Nothing's covered up. There's a brake master cylinder fluid thing. like right. Hopefully not like that guy that built the submarine in his 
yard in like Scandinavia that, uh, uh, yeah, we, we should mention that on some future episode. Maybe in our, yeah, that's that. It's not necessarily true crime, but uh, I think it's uh, potentially in addition to our uh, true kind segment. I can't wait. I can't wait to get that off the ground. Again, oh, yeah. still haven't gotten any feedback on people who are good at doing segment jingles. So that's still an open still an open request if uh if you uh, have a hobby of making jingles for land river based podcasts uh let me tell you we can make uh, you a fantastic deal of a land rover uh i'm sorry an underpowered hour sticker of your choice uh, maybe uh, maybe maybe even a hat i don't know we'll see i like a good jingle and i'm willing to contribute uh all kinds of uh of swag to anyone that can provide a, a catchy jingle for any of our segments there are a lot there are. I mean, I'm actually losing count. At some point, we'll have to do a uh, a total tally of all of the uh, of all the segments. And uh, with that, uh, it's time for another one of uh, certainly my favorite segments: uh, tip top uh, tool tip. Uh, so, Ike, this week, what is your tip top uh, tool tip? I love this segment because it's uh, it's alliterative, and uh, I find myself, you know sometimes being alliterative. Mm -hmm. uh, in this case, our tip top tool tip is the impact driver. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you've ever worked on a Land Rover, you frequently uh, curse at uh, a stuck fastener. And oh, yeah. uh, I think there is a tendency to be impatient with stuck fasteners or try to employ various implements of destruction. Mm -hmm. And I think that the impact driver has a, a worthy place in between the, you know, let's soak it and go see a movie, right. uh, soak it in penetrating oil and go do something else. And, uh, you know, the, the destructive methods, the torch, the drill, the, yeah. the grinder, these sorts of things. The impact driver, for those of you unfamiliar, is essentially, um, it, it appears to be a very fat chisel. It has a cam yeah. inside mm -hmm. that that drives usually a three quarter inch uh, drive, square drive to which you can attach various sockets and uh, screwdrivers and, you know, all kinds of impact bits. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a wonderful thing for unsticking fasteners because you get to hit something with a hammer yeah. and, uh, you know, cathartic in very, its use, very cathartic. And the, uh, the impact of that hammer blow is is channeled into uh, a productive means of loosening the fastener. Yeah, so, well, I think you get that you get the double action of the impact, which some of that is is you know linearly put linear linearly pushed through the the tool into the fastener, which can kind of give it a bit of a rattle, and then also you've got rotational torsional force uh, to be able to uh, to undo things. So yeah, no, it's funny how that is often enough to get something out that otherwise, especially if it lays flush and it's not something you can easily heat or grind or do something else that that will sometimes pop it out. I find any, any time that there's a, you know, a countersunk flush uh, fastener, little slotted head screws are the worst for that, right? That, you know, they're really hard to get out by any other means. They are. And the, the brake drums on a series mm -hmm. Land Rover is a perfect example of something that the impact driver is well suited to remove. You know, these, uh, Things often sit under the wheel. They get sprayed with road debris, salt, grime, water, whatever. And uh, they are a countersunk slotted fastener. They secure the brake drum to the hub. And there's no way to service the brakes without removing them. And they can 
frequently be very, very stuck. Yeah. And you feel like, oh, I've got to drill this out or I've got to, you know, get the torch after this or something. But, uh, you know, the impact driver, it, it, you know, for a quality name brand one, you might pay $35 for yeah. it. And then, you know, various bits and other accessories might uh, drive up the price to 50 bucks or something. I have a fancy Mac uh, tool one that is actually uh, fits into your air chisel. And so it has ah. an air chisel shank on the back, and then it doesn't it doesn't have a square drive. Uh, it has a uh, a hexagonal, um, not the not the small regular one, but the a the proprietary Matco size driver. Proprietary Matco driver, and the tool is nine hundred dollars, and the bits are each six hundred dollars. No, I don't exactly remember how much it is, but everything Matco is not cheap. Um, and uh, and yeah, that actually lets you use your air chisel. Uh, not your pneumatic air riveter. It is not an air. It 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 is, but we don't use it for air chiseling because it is a super expensive aircraft tool supply, um, uh, a two stage air rivet gun, and and we have air chisels for air chiseling. <laughs> I'll have to to try one of those pneumatic impact drivers. That's not something that I have uh, used before, other than the you know impact guns that cool. people associate with uh, you know. Uh, Ugadugas yep. removing uh, lug nuts and and whatnot, uh, yep. but uh, this this impact tool, I uh, <laughs> yeah, I like this the sound actually of that. is a it is a yeah, it's an impact driver exactly the same as if you were tapping it with a hammer on the back, and I have I have one as well. Now I think mine is from uh, Princess Auto in Canada, so it's uh, qualitatively maybe questionable, but hey, it's lasted for like 40, 30 years or something, so it's uh, it's in good shape. But um, but yeah, the air the air chisel uh, one uh, is pretty cool. It's a neat, uh, it's a neat device, and uh, uh, that's my number one thing. I use it to remove the uh, the safety screw, the the retaining screw on uh, brake drums. That's like the the number one thing for that tool. It's so good. It works so fast. One more thing I will mention before we move on to our next segment is the importance of getting those screws tight on the brake drum, because if you don't, they stand proud, and when you tighten your wheels down, it puts a dimple or a bend in the wheel surface, the wheel mounting surface. So for those of you working on their brake drums, make sure you get those flush. Corollary to that, uh, new production brake drum screws that are often supplied by, you know, your your common Land Rover parts suppliers, the, the countersink is not completely flush. And so the screw, even when fully seated, stands proud of the brake drum and puts a dimple in your wheel. So if you're buying new brake drum screws to... Uh, replace those that you have destructively removed, you're kind of stuck either further countersinking the drum or, you know, a combination of that and grinding a little bit off of the top of the countersunk brake drum screw. Alternatively, you could probably just leave them off because the the wheel secures the brake drum to the hub uh generally just fine but you know i'm i'm kind of ocd and i like to put the the correct fasteners back in them another tip that a lot of people don't realize about those brake drums is that there is on most brake drums a threaded hole on the brake drum if you have a really stuck brake drum and you've removed all of the countersunk screws and you still can't get the drum off there's usually a threaded hole into which you can put a three its coarse thread fastener and force the brake drum off of it using that hole. So anyway, a couple uh, related tool tips for brake drums and uh, impact drivers. 
Yeah, because certainly if you have a brake drum that has any amount of wear in channel on the drum itself, uh, you know, and you can't completely release the tension on them, they're uh, they're a lot of fun to pull off. That's a it's a it's a uh, it's an all day adventure. My, you know, I had that problem with my um, brake drum on the handbrake on the Defender would get welded on all the time. It would get stuck on because of road salt and stuff in Canada, and switched it out for uh, a disc uh, brake on that, and uh, that has solely uh, solved the problem. And man, you cannot back that car up when that disc brake is on. There is no force on earth that will move that car. So for winching and things like that, that drive line uh, disc brake is like nine hundred times stronger than it would ever need to be for a and although they tell you you can't i'm sure if you had to apply it by hand as an actual slow down braking device for some emergency reason um you know you can't really do that with the drum brakes because they're just kind of on or off but that one you could probably finesse on in such a way that uh, you could actually use it as a as a slowing device i don't i don't think they recommend that i wouldn't do that but uh you probably could it's it's a well-made piece by x engineering in the uk x Eng. they uh, they do some cool stuff um all right and yet we detract so uh next thing up next a special segment in need of intro uh music uh Land Rovers at the theater uh, movies uh, featuring the great uh, Land Rover um, in uh, in them. You have one up uh, this week, uh, Ike, from the 1980s. Yeah, you know, I always like seeing uh, a Land Rover in a film I'm watching, uh, you know, for whatever reason. It's kind of silly, but uh, uh, occasionally you see a movie and you're like, oh, there's uh, there's a series Land Rover. Typically, that's kind of what I like to see because uh, I like old movies and I like old cars. In this particular instance, we're going to talk about The Monster Squad, which is uh, sort of one of those cult classics. If you like these campy 80s movies, if you like that Stranger Things vibe, but a little more uh, gritty and uh, less polished then maybe this is a movie you could check out. Basically, the plot of this film is, you know, uh, the classic monsters, uh, Dracula, the swamp monster, the uh, mummy, you know, these sorts of uh, characters. They're uh, all converging on a town and they're going to take over the town and take over the world. And and a plucky band of, of youngsters is going to foil them with the help of a Series 2A109 wagon that is... I will say sort of a precursor to this whole like beach runner, dune runner, 110 craze in that, you know, this is a vehicle that they have removed all of the door tops, the rear door and the side middle doors. They've removed all those door tops off and they drive it around topless uh, and uh, protecting the town from from various monsters. And uh, it, it's, you know, if you like that kind of movie, it's a, it's a good one to check out. Um, and I like Landovers and, and, uh, and campy movies. So it's a good one. Also, it has the uh, famous phrase. Now, do you think cutting that rear, uh, cutting that rear door in half, did that give rise to the North American defenders, uh, swinging, uh, half door? Do you think the, 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 uh, the monster squad was the inspiration for Land Rover to build the, uh, the swinging door has to be. Has to be. There's no other explanation for it. It definitely came from the Monster Squad. There is no question in my mind. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the famous line from this movie is, Wolfman's got nards. So that should tell you really everything you need to know 
about this film uh and whether you want to see it or not but uh if you like landovers and you like monsters and you like campy 80s movies maybe check it out maybe check it out so this uh there is some upcoming speaking of uh the wolfman having nards we have uh, a bunch of new uh, stuff coming to uh patreon so if you are uh, a follower uh, of ours on a patreon like our good friend uh luke uh you uh will get access to uh, a bunch of tip top tool tips uh, that we've uh, shot around uh, riveting uh, both uh, dome head rivets as well as uh, pop rivets uh, some uh, really interesting stuff around a, uh, a spanner uh, torquing device which uh, a lot of folks are probably not familiar with but man having Land Rovers with bolts that need to be torqued and impossible to get to uh, places spanner torquing devices are really cool as well as uh, Coleco's and some other metal working stuff and then a whole segment of uh, Land Rover uh, book club uh, taking a look at uh, the expansive uh, collection of Land Rover books that Ike and I have amassed over uh, the course of our uh, lifetimes, uh, certainly uh, something to uh, rival uh, the, the greatest libraries uh, of, uh, of our time. Um, and uh, more, uh, more about that. Also, we're going to do a live stream on uh, the Patreon coming up here, probably near the end of the summer. Uh, where we will take uh, questions live, do a little AMA style uh, thing where you can ask uh, Ike and I uh, anything that uh, uh, may interest you. And uh, I think we'll do uh, probably a uh, a little bit more about that later on in August. We'll talk about how to get involved. But that's all going to be uh, through our Patreon because by being a Patreon subscriber, you make the show possible. That is, uh, that is how we... Uh, do this. That is how we uh, afford uh, Ike's uh, exorbitant uh, salary uh, to come and do this. But I think uh, you'll agree that it is uh, it is worth uh, every dollar, uh, it, the the dollar, the single dollar, it <laughs> the is dollar. Worth, uh, that we've invested uh, in this. And so uh, to end off the show, Ike, everybody's favorite segment, without question, top requested, uh, most beloved. People have uh, already had it tattooed on their body and have named their children after uh, famous Land Rover owner of the week. So like who uh, did the uh, wheel of uh, justice, the wheel of Land Rover celebrities, uh, who did it yield uh, this week? The wheel of misfortune has landed on Daniel Craig this week. And uh, for those of you that don't know, he is most famous for his role as 007 in the latest installments of the James Bond series. The, um, the latest film in that series, I believe is, uh, is, is tomorrow never dies or die tomorrow. Another day or die next Thursday. Uh, at any Something. rate, there's a yeah. dying, uh, it, there's, my, there's my a brother day. worked on the film and I don't remember its name off the top of my head. It hasn't come out yet. So it's, it's not fair that I have to remember it yet. It, it was shot pre pandemic and, yes. and the release has been delayed because of the pandemic. So I think it was actually filmed three years ago, maybe two years ago, something 23, like that. 23 years ago. It was filmed in the 1960s and held because that would of be the cool. pandemic. Yeah. That would be um, cool. Yeah, it was. I think it was like three years ago. It's been a long time. It was supposed to come out like the, the day everyone went into lockdown. So yeah. it's been on delay for quite a while. Looks amazing. Of course, I think the big, you know, the big thing that, that Land Rover had been pushing was the new Defender yes. being used in. And I actually saw one of the Defenders used, I think it was here at the LA Auto Show. They 
they added with the mud uh, painted on the car because it's a movie car. Mud and things like that have to stay in continuity because otherwise someone, likely someone listening to the show, possibly Ike or I, would uh, write into the uh, MGM uh, complaining that the mud had moved around. On it was at 4x4x4. It was? Oh, that's right. It was also at 4x4x4. By far, by yeah. far, by four. By four. Uh, so that that is an, an interesting side note. Obviously, there's a lot of Land Rover involvement in the in the James Bond films, which has increased in recent years. But uh, in that film, Daniel Craig drives uh, a Series Three Land Rover, and so uh, he's definitely associated with the more classic vehicles. Further to that, I'm told by a customer of mine that he had uh, a Series Two A 109. Hmm. regular so a three-door model bronze green with a capstan winch so so clearly he is a land rover enthusiast above and beyond his involvement i think he's also been involved in some of the advertising these sorts of things so he's he's pretty closely associated with the land rover brand and as a as a famous person i think he qualifies i don't know what other land rovers he has but maybe we can figure that out and do an update well i think he's he's british uh wealthy i assume and an actor so the chances of him not having a range rover are are pretty low probably Uh, zero you know yeah probably zero right i think at some point uh after a certain income uh level in the uk you're simply given one um you know they all come with the stirrup tailgate thing too oh you gotta have a stirrup tailgate thing i mean if you have a range rover and you don't have the stirrup tailgate thing you really have to ask yourself what are you doing you're a peasant you're a peasant that's that's you know how are you enjoying your wine and cheese while watching your polo match i i don't know uh, ringside what do they call a what do they call a polo a polo polo ring a polo field i guess a polo field field you're not watching field side off the back of your stirrup to range rover tailgate thing what are you there's doing? Al- there's also a, a, a little rack for riding crops so you can point at things. Oh, yeah. Well, you have to because if you were to point with your just your finger, I mean, come on. How I, uncouth. Oh, my God. Wouldn't imagine. I wouldn't imagine it. Take your little champagnes out of your tiny little chilled glove box. I have to say the Range Rover Sport we have has a, a, a cooled glove box, and uh, it really works. Like it's actually like a real little fridge. I remember, and maybe it wasn't a Range Rover. At one point, I was exposed to a car, exposed myself to a car. I'm not sure that. I believe just ran air conditioning like into the center console and that was the thing. And, and, and I just assumed that's what the Range Rovers had is they just had like a, you know, they just had an air conditioned little hole that would blow air into the glove, you know, into the center console and it would make, but no, this is a legit, uh, you know, electrically cooled fridge. Like you would get a, you know, a plug in like an ARB fridge or something like that that uses the cooling plate sort of system, whatever uh, it's that same thing. And now you can only keep four cans in there. So it's not like you're going to, you know, you're not tailgating out of the Range Rover's cooled center console. Is there, um, a, is there a separate non-cooled center console? Like, do you, you know, put all your stuff little, in there and it gets there's cold? Like, yeah, there's like a little non-cooled lid thing that you can kind of get a couple things in. But no, it it largely deletes that. But there is like 900 little pockets and two, you know, there's so like you, two yeah. glove boxes. There's things in the doors that, you know, the sunroof opens up and you put stuff up there. You got to, there's a, there's a gentleman that drives a, a separate, less expensive car next to you that can hold your stuff for you. It's got fun, a quick short story on that. So I used to live across the street from the Scientology Celebrity Center. Uh, of course Hollywood. you did. Of, of course, course you did. Of course I did. Yeah, I chose it. I chose it by uh, 
um it actually wasn't disclosed to us until it was too late we already owned the the condo and then they're like oh yeah that's uh anyway so i was out riding my motorcycle and uh i see this gentleman pull up on a uh a ducati uh, at the time it was the um the desmo sedici their their sort of race bike the the rr which is a like it's a race motorcycle it's 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 a it's a moto gp bike that you can buy and beside him were two gentlemen so a gentleman pulls up with this two gentlemen uh, on on a other motorcycles on, on, uh, you know, uh, some other kind of, uh, motorcycles. I wasn't really sure what, um, and the guy reached over and held on to the gas tank of the motorcycle to his right because he couldn't get his, his tiny little Tom Cruise feet down oh, onto no. the ground because the Desmo, I don't think you could lower the suspension enough for for tom to be able to ride it comfortably um and actually not not tip the bike over because they're really heavy um they're incredibly light for motorcycle standards but it's still it's very it's it's heavy enough if you are not tall enough and so he simply had two people i imagine i don't know security or scientology friends or whatever i don't know ride with him and every time the bike stopped the guy would have to be right next to him and he would just put his hand on the tank which i have to say like riding a motorcycle i'm not sure that i would be totally comfortable doing like that takes a good amount of balance that's almost more impressive than uh not being able to get your feet down which in itself is is pretty hilarious but uh but having knowing that the guy is going to be there <laughs> with his tank for you to put your hand on that's a lot of trust it's a lot of faith I like it. I like it. Yeah. yeah. You know, if you, if you have that disability, you gotta, you gotta cope somehow. And if you can afford to hire your buddy to, to ride around with you, that's great. Why not? Anyways, I think that's, uh, there's a, uh, there's a trip from LA to, uh, to Oregon. I think, uh, we'll never, never feet, no feet, no feet down, uh, bike buddy trip, I, I think, except we'll take the, uh, the holding the gas tank, the next level and just do it the whole time. Or maybe even in fact, what we'll do is I'll operate the, uh, the rear, the, the rear brake on your motorcycle and you can, uh, operate the throttle, uh, on and front brake on mine. So, uh, and that will just, it'll be fine. I don't, I don't see anything that could go wrong. I can't imagine that being a good idea. It'll be great. It's, it's going to be like a circus event. We'll get one of those big steel balls right around. It's going to be wonderful. All right, Ike. Well, I think that's enough uh, for this week. It's been uh, a slice as always. Uh, what a pleasure. And uh, we'll see you uh, we'll See you next time. Stephen, you're a gentleman and a scholar. I look forward to this every week. Have a wonderful day. Underpowered Hour is produced by me, Steve Barris, and Ike Goss. Consider supporting the show through our Patreon, and when you do, you'll be given access to exclusive content and Underpowered Hour merch. Want even more Underpowered Hour? Check out our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Twitter.